I think it's important that we are careful not to have blind faith. Um, I've talked about this before, you know, in regards to religion. I don't think that blind faith is a positive thing. I agree with Bill Maher in, uh, in his film Religious. He talks about that. You know, he's like, why is faith good? You know, that's, that's the main question he's posing is, oh, you have faith. What's so good about that, you know? Um, and, and I agree with him. Faith in and of itself, just, you know, blind faith, I don't think is a good thing. But to have faith in something that is proven to work, that's another story. If something works and it's producing positive results, even if you don't fully understand why, I think that's something worthwhile. It's something worth putting your faith in. Whether faith in and of itself is is good or bad is irrelevant because the results are good, and and that's what we're um, you know a reasonable good person is is trying to produce. Now, there are those that make the argument. You know, Jordan Peterson, for example, makes the argument in his debate with Sam Harris that you know the re- religion is a. Um, inevitable, you know, consequence of, you know, basic human moral fiber. And it's a way that we, we explain it. Um, I, I do, and I don't know, I don't know if I, if I believe or not, but I, I do understand the idea that we could have morality without religion. I'm I'm not, I'm not completely, um, opposed to that notion, but I don't think that we have the, the language and the, you know, the explanations to, to fully articulate morality as, as well as religion does. Um, and so, you know, I want to talk specifically a minute about the Bible and, and I do believe in the Bible and I want to talk about why I believe the Bible. I don't have a blind faith when it comes to the Bible. I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If I, found something in the Bible that I found to be morally reprehensible, I would reject it. Um, I've, I've read, you know, some of the Quran and I've found things in the Quran that I have found to be morally reprehensible. And so I reject the Quran. Um, the, the biggest thing I think is that the Quran, um, includes a, a call to action. Um, for its followers, you know, for, for example, the, the most, I think, important example, um, the most extreme example, I guess, is it's not even Sharia law because you could even say that, um, you know, having penalties for crime, you're talking about capital punishment, you know, and, and we just have that to different degrees, you know, even in today's society. Um, but the fact that they're punishing for crimes that, there's no separation of church and state, you know, for instance, executing homosexuals, which is still happening. Um, and I think, you know, I'm seeing recently, um, on social media, people are starting to wake up to that a little bit when it comes to, um, the Islamic state. Um, it is September year 2022 right now. And I'm starting to see things on Facebook kind of just pop up randomly about, um, you know, I want to see the pride flag in Iran. I want to see the pride flag in Saudi Arabia. People are starting to realize that, yeah, these these countries, these Islamic countries, are not tolerant. Um, well, but that's that's not my point. I'm not I'm not here to talk about Islam right now. Um, I want to talk about the Bible, and and why I believe it. So, 
my sister um, made a comment a while back. Um, I was looking at her bookshelf, and and she's a she's a biologist, um, you know, so she studies the natural world. And I was looking at her bookshelf, and there was there was you know, um, Origin of Species, and you know some other some other good like, you know, n- naturalist books, um, you know, good science books and things like that. And um, I asked her you know, where's your Bible? You know, I asked her jokingly cause I know the answer. Um, and she goes, Oh, it's, uh, it's on the bookshelf in the back with all the other fiction, you know? And it's like, okay, well that's cute. Um, <laughs> so I, I would love to reopen this dialogue with her. Um, because like Jordan Peterson, um, I think that it's fair to say that the Bible is not, Merely, sorry, I had to roll down my window. I'm driving as usual, and windows are frosty. Um, it's fair to say that the Bible is not merely a work of fiction, but a work of psychology. Um, you know, and, and it, it's a story of not just the journey of civilization, but the journey of humanity. Um, and so, so what I what I mean when I say I, I've not found anything in the Bible to be untrue. Um, I'm not, you know, of course the Bible is not an account. It's not a science book, right? Um, you can't, you can't frame the Bible, um, you know, as a, as a source for, you know, scientific truth and then disregard it when it doesn't meet those standards. That's not the point of the, of the narrative. Um, so, so I want to kind of explore a little bit of that. So for one, I don't go to the Bible to find truth. I think it's useful um, when reading the Bible, like I'm fully prepared to reject it. Like, like sincerely, like, I, I, like I read it with a lot of skepticism, but at the same time you have, you know, to be, to be skeptic, you also have to be open-minded. Um, so, so it'd be, it's easy to debunk something, um, to, if you're willing to take it out of context and, you know, for instance, something simple, you know, let's, let's go to the creation story. You know, the earth was created in six days. I mean, we don't know that it wasn't, but I'm, I'm not reading that to, as a scientific account, I'm not reading that to say, oh, this is, you know, the literal truth of what happened. Um, I'm, I'm reading that as, you know, this is, this is an account that, you know, ancient people wrote, this is their creation myth. You know, this is, they, they didn't have a, you know, the resources and the tools that we have now to come up with a, a theory of, uh, of, uh, excuse me, a theory, um, about the origin of the planet. So, so they came up with a myth that explains the natural world, but not only explains the natural world, but explains man's place in the natural world and what man should be doing with the natural world moving forward. And that's kind of the entire narrative of the Bible. Um, you know, it's, it's that, it's that, going back to that, I've said it before, uh, science tells you this is a field. Religion tells you what to do with the field. Um, and, and so, you know, we have to agree to the terms of this is what a field is. But like I said, this is more about the Bible's more about relationships. It's about man's relationship with nature, about man's relationship with society, with one another, and about man's more than anything, man's relationship with God. But of course, that raises more questions because you know it's easy to define nature and man and society. Uh, it's easier to define those things than it is to define God because people have disagreements. But 
I'm not here to do that right this minute. Um, I have other recordings about that. I want to talk more about the validity of, of the actual text. So when I read the Bible, like I said, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm prepared to deny its validity if I can find something that is untrue. But at the same time, I simultaneously read it and I, I seek truth in it. I, I think that's a healthy way to approach things like this. Um, so the truth that I'm seeking, and it, it doesn't take a lot of reaching, but it does take some understanding. I'm very Gnostic in that sense. Like I, I want to, I, I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, trust in the Lord God and lean not on your own understanding. I, you know, I think that means that if just because you don't understand something doesn't mean you should disregard it. It doesn't mean not to try to understand things, right? Um, and, and so I do, I try to understand things. And, you know, for instance, um, Let's take the uh, let's take the story of uh, Jacob of Israel, right? Um, you know, you could say that. Oh well, this is kind of a silly story that he wrestled with God, and you know he sustained an injury, but God tapped him out. Basically, you know that that's that's or I'm sorry, he tapped God out. You know, like he he beat God in a wrestling match. You know, if God is all powerful. That how you know that's a silly. Well, you're, you're missing the point because you're, you're taking it. Literally, um, obviously, if God is this omnipotent being, then no man could best him. So that's a contradict contradiction just by by definition of what you mean by God, you know. And so it's just like, uh, how how do you reconcile that, you know? So so I could take that right there and say, well, obviously this whole thing is bullshit. Obviously it doesn't make any sense. Okay, well let's look at what it's saying, right? So you know what you know what we mean by God. We, you know whether you mean it's the it's a sentient being that's the creator, or you know in my case I, I think it's God is um, something that we should orient ourselves toward to progress things um, for the better. Um, so either way, to wrestle with God is to wrestle with that notion. It's to wrestle with goodness, and and we do. We do wrestle with goodness, you know. Um, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So, oh God, so there's another thing, you know. Well, what is sin? You know, the Bible doesn't say rapes a sin. Well, sin is to miss the mark. I mean, clearly, like, like if we, if there is a higher potential, if if there is a an optimal state of being, not just for the individual, but for the world as a whole, um, anything that we do that supports that brings us closer to the goodness of God and to the glory of God. And anything that we do that brings us farther from that, um, would be a sin, right? Because it's to miss the mark. It's to, it's to, it's, it's to fall. The sin by definition is to fall short of the glory of God and the glory of God being the optimum, optimal state of being. So that's something that we wrestle with. That's something that we struggle with. And like I said, the narrative of the Bible is, you know, it tells individual stories that represent man's struggle with either nature, society, or God himself. And and that's, I mean, that that's what the, the text is about. And so I think when you look at it through that, that lens of, you know, that context of, of what it's supposed to mean, it's not untrue. People, you know, and so so Israel, so we're establishing a protagonist, which is Israel, which grows into a nation, and that nation becomes the protagonist, which is a whole other incredibly um, sophisticated approach to 
to a narrative, but you know, it starts with one man. It's the father of this nation, right? And 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 it's symbolic that you know that this one man is going to you know literally in this story wrestle with this this demigod or wrestle with this god that's representative of that that goodness that we should be orienting toward because we all struggle with that we all fall short of that and then as a society as a culture uh it grows into that level and and the culture falls short of that and so things aren't as good as they could be because of sin because we fall short things aren't as op you know in that optimal state of being we're not we don't have that utopia right because we fall short and so then it, it you know goes into laying down well what can we do to reconcile that we introduce the idea of sacrifice and why that's necessary to ensure a better future the sacrifices we make today ensure a better future for tomorrow so there is a a level of repentance and and then of course Jesus comes and he talks about um you know love is the key right and that you know he's going to die for the sins it's not about the sacrifices we make today it's about tra- a transformation it's about changing yourself changing the state of being to where your mind is not even you know you know you're not you're not sitting today just so you can make a sacrifice tomorrow you're changing yourself on the to your very core to where you want to manifest love and we're still going to fall short we're still going to fail but it's about that it's about that condition of the heart rather than um you know the black and white letter of the law you know so and which you know the law was a it was a schoolmaster so i mean i mean i don't see anything wrong or untrue or or unhelpful about any of this um, and yeah, there's things in the Bible that are morally reprehensible, but the difference is the Bible doesn't condone them, right? Um, there's, there's stories in the Bible about rape and incest and slavery and all these other things. And the Bible talks about them because they're real things that have happened and that are, are happening. Um, it's, it's, it's part of the nature of reality. Um, so to ignore and pretend like those things never happened, never existed, I don't, I don't see the point in that, you know, slavery was the global standard, you know, for all of human history until, you know, five minutes ago. So to talk about it, I don't think it's like saying, oh, the Bible says it's okay. No, the Bible just says that it it happened, it existed. And this is how people conducted themselves in a time when, you know, it, it was the norm. And, and you keep in mind, once again, people wrote the Bible, you know, so people are writing the Bible, you know, with the, um, the cultural and societal influence of their time, you know, and I'm, I'm not defending that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that makes, you know, these certain things okay, but it doesn't mean that we should disregard the text because it doesn't say, you know, it, 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 and I mean, there's even things, um, you know, when you read in, you know, Leviticus, when you read in the, um, the law of Moses, you know, Moses said to the people of Israel, God told us to do this, you know, and, and so we read those things sometimes and it's like, well, damn, you know, this says that he, we should execute homosexuals. No, it doesn't. It says Moses told the people of Israel to execute homosexuals. It's, it's not saying that we should do that. That's what Moses thought was the best thing at the time. I'm prepared to say Moses was wrong about that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was the best thing at that time. I don't think it's the best thing today. And, and I, I don't think it was the best thing at that time. Um, but Moses did. Does that make Moses an asshole? Okay, maybe. There's a case to be made. But does that make the Bible untrue? Well, no, because that's telling a story about something that happened. It's telling a story about a group of people that wrestled with God. They wrestled with goodness. It's not easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be wrestling. 
it would just be dominating or submitting, right? It, it, but it, but there was there's a there's a wrestle, there's a a push and pull because it's not simple. We don't have all the answers. We don't fully understand things. So to have um, a documentation of a of a narrative that people have passed down for thousands and thousands of years, you know, and, and by word of mouth before that, you know, because these, some of these stories are more ancient than Israel, you know, they, they were passed down, you know, from their ancestors and, and, and before that, right? So, um, I don't think that's a, that's a bad thing to try to preserve. So is it fiction? Man, I think it, it transcends fiction. I think it transcends science. It's something more important and more relevant, um, than anything else that, that we have. So yeah, I'm sold on it. And I, I, once again, I'm going to read it with that open-minded skepticism that I think is so useful and so helpful. Um, I'm prepared to reject it, but I haven't found anything in it that I found to be untrue. So if you find anything, um, that you find to be untrue, reach out to me, let me know. And maybe we can talk about it. Um, I, I don't, I'm running out of time. I'm arriving at my destination, but, um, I think there's, you know, you can Google contradictions in the Bible and those are not, I, I I've not found any contradictions in the Bible. There's people that think there are contradictions because they take things out of context and it's not reaching. It's not reaching. There is that, you know, the, the Bible does have different contexts at different points and it explicitly says so because it's a lot of stories woven together and different people talking to other people at different times. So yeah, there's going to be things that if you just say, Oh, the entire Bible is God talking to me. Well then, yeah, there's going to be, um, there's going to be, uh, contradictions, but that's not what it is. So there you go. Am I a reductionist? It seems, um, sometimes the way I talk about religion and the Bible and everything, I, I have been accused of being a reductionist or being an accidental atheist. Um, so I want to clarify a couple things. Um, first of all, there are things in the Bible that, and I've, I've talked about this before, I don't care if they happened literally. Um, if, if they... I'll say it this way, because the, the question comes down to um, the difference between belief and faith, right? And I didn't even plan on on talking about that. I don't really ever plan these uh, recordings. I just kind of ramble. Um, but the difference between belief and faith, you know, belief is thinking that something is true. Faith is basing your actions on it, right? So that would be like... Um, if I said, you know, this is some a point I illustrate to people in person quite easily, but just bear with me for the sake of, you know, being the uh, recording. Um, if I said I'm going to do, I want you to do a trust fall. If you did a trust fall, do you believe I would catch you? And people are like, you know, yeah, sure, or no. You know, I either believe you or I don't, right? But faith is actually doing a trust fall. Like that's the difference between belief and faith. Belief is, belief is saying something. Faith is putting action into it. So, try to pull out here onto a busy highway without getting in an accident. Stand by. I always drive while I'm recording these things. Sorry. Um, so, do I believe um, every story of the Bible? And if I'm being honest with myself, no. Um, 
I use the story of Jonah a lot. And, and to be honest, like, at the very core, I, I don't think that it actually happened. I would be pleasantly surprised if it did because that would be really cool. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that it didn't, if that makes sense. I am putting my faith in it. I am um, because I believe that it's a true story. Um, even if it didn't happen literally, the, the moral of the story, as I've said before, is if you know what your calling is, you know, God spoke to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh and preach. If you know what your calling is and you turn from your calling and you run from the, the plan that God has for you, your life will likely go to shit to the point where you're at your lowest low in the belly of the beast. Um, which is you know, symbolic of death and the only way to bounce back from that is that rebirth, that repentance and then that rebirth being spit onto the shore um, you know is that, you know, is being born again and, and then spreading the good news and everything so there's a, I mean all of that's true um, but then you know I, I say things like this and people are like oh well you don't really believe in the Bible so I have a counter argument you don't really believe in the Bible if, if your belief is dogmatic, right, I would say that that's more of a reductionist than what I'm proposing. And the reason I say that is um, I'm skeptical of a lot of things um, in the Bible. And once again, I, I can find the relevance in these words without a dogmatic, literal interpretation. Um, if your interpretation is dogmatic and literal, a lot of times what happens is people tend to ignore the psychological relevance. They tend to ignore how these things apply to our lives, or they tend to try to make them apply in different ways for their own purposes. Um, and, and granted, there are layers to scripture. There are layers to every story uh, that we can, you know, apply in different ways. And, 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 you know, perception is reality. So as as we encounter information, you know, things speak to us on different levels. But, you know, somebody who, for instance, you know, believes in the virgin birth. And I'm not saying I don't. Bear with me. Um, but they believe that, you know, Jesus was immaculately conceived um, you know, one might say, I might say, well, what is the purpose of the birth, of the virgin birth? You know, what is, what does it mean? Like, why was that a thing? Why was that necessary? Whether it actually happened or whether it's just the way they tell the story, why have that at all? You know, because it speaks to the divinity of Christ, because it shows, you know, we're supposed to be an embodiment of our fathers. It's like the natural order of things. And then Jesus, Jesus not having a human father shows that he's the embodiment of that divine goodness. You know, there's a there, there's complexity to it. There's depth to it. Um, it's interesting. But then someone might say, no, 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 it's not for any of that. You're reading too much into it. It's because God is his father. The literal God is his father. Okay, wait, so the literal God had literal sperm? No, 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 it was, uh, you know, well, don't ask those questions. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, we run into those things. Well, what's the story of Noah? Because, you know, the story of Noah is about encapsulating your godly perspective and, you know, and taking your family and transcending evil, you know, when all the world around you has 
delved into chaos because evil is running rampant, you take what is good and encapsulate it and float above the waters. You, you transcend that chaos. And um, people would say, you know, no, 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 it's a historical account. The earth actually flooded. Well, if it's just a history lesson, if it's just a book saying things that actually happened, yeah, there's lessons we can learn from history, like how not to repeat the same mistakes. Um, but it's not really a religion at that point. It's not really speaking to us spiritually if it's just... So that, that's why I mean, like, if you're dogmatic, you're the real reductionist, okay? Because my point of view, my point of view is I don't know whether these things actually happened or not, right? If they didn't, I still find relevance in the stories from a psychological perspective and from a spiritual perspective. But if they did... There are multiple layers to the story. There's a historical relevance and a psychological and spiritual relevance. So either way, my point of view has it covered. But those who would ignore the psychological and say that we shouldn't try to understand scripture, that we should, um, you know, just take it at, at that dogmatic face value. If it didn't actually happen, you've just wasted time. And then furthermore, whether it did or didn't, you're you're missing the message. That's not a, that's not a religion. That's not a faith because you're not basing action on it. You're saying, Oh, I believe the story. Okay. But what do you, and, and okay, well, hang on. I, I take that back. Some people do believe dogmatically and they still put their faith in it. They put their faith in the dogmatism. And sometimes that, um, sometimes that works out. Okay. Sometimes like my grandmother, for instance, she was very, you know, she was Catholic and her and I would get into uh, communion into what they call the Eucharist. And she would say that this is the body of Christ. And I was like, okay, it's symbolic of the body of Christ. And she's like, no, it is the body of Christ. And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not actually like Jesus, literal Jesus's literal body. She's like, yes, it's his body. It's like, well, no, because he, so he wasn't a man. He was the Pillsbury Doughboy. Like this is bread, you know, and no, it is the actual body of Christ because when the priest blesses it, it becomes the, I'm like, so it's meat. No, it's, it's the body of, you know, and so it's like, okay, well, you're just mincing words. It's like it, the, the language is, you know, you see what I'm saying though? I mean like, but my grandmother really put her faith in following the things that she said. Like she wasn't a weakened Christian or a weekend Catholic. She followed it. And, and I know, you know, I have a, a, a biased opinion because she's my grandmother and I, I, I saw the best of her, maybe that best side of her. But, um, but I mean, I knew her, she, she passed away, you know, last year. And so I knew her well into my adult life. I'm in my thirties and, and, you know, was able to have adult conversations with her. And she, she genuinely was a, a believer, you know, she put her faith in what she believed in. Right. But there are those um, that put their faith in what they believe in. And sometimes um, reading those scriptures at face value, God forbid you take something out of context. Next thing you know, you're executing homosexuals, you know, because uh, that actually happens, you know, um, and and people. Well, and that's that's kind of off topic, but people pick and choose what to follow rather than reading what scripture actually says. But for the most part. Many people who believe dogmatically, they don't want to invest the time um, in trying to understand things. They think that they're getting to heaven free card just means, you know, listen to what the preacher says, um, you know, take this at face value, say that Jesus was immaculately conceived and he was 
crucified and rose again after three days and then he died for our sins never taking a second to pause and evaluate what any of that actually means you know like 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 why why is sacrifice even necessary in the first place why can't god just forgive us without sacrifice and and that's that question that question only fits in the context of religious language um and I'm not, that's not what this recording is about. That's a, maybe a question I'll explore. Um, I've explored briefly, maybe I'll dive deeper into it because it is amazing um, how all that comes together. But my point now is don't say I'm a reductionist. Um, my beliefs, I'm skeptical about many metaphysical things. I'm not skeptical that there is a metaphysical reality but what does metaphysical mean <laughs> see there I go again right um, I think metaphysical means things that we haven't come up with a scientific theory for you know uh, I, and that's that is maybe a reductionist outlook um, but you know supernatural you know same thing it, it's it's things that are not just natural because we don't have you know the science is the the study of the natural world and if we don't have if it doesn't fit if something doesn't fit into what we know or what we theorize about science then there must be some other explanation we'll put it in this other category and and the easy explanation is oh well god is doing that right well of course god is doing that god is also doing this me talking into this cell phone recording this this uh podcast right now is god doing that because God is doing everything, because God is omnipresent and omnipotent. So, you know, when something happens that doesn't fit into our, our scientific lens, we sometimes, instead of seeking further understanding or explanation, we just say, oh, God is doing, you know, and that's satisfying for some people. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not saying that miracles don't happen. I'm not saying that sometimes the laws of nature, the laws of physics um, aren't, you know, broken, or perhaps maybe we just don't understand them initially um standby roll down my window the windows are all frosty right now so i gotta roll down my windows every time i turn um maybe it's not that the laws of nature are broken but rather we don't we haven't written them well enough because the not the, and understand that the laws of nature are are not up to man to decide we just try to articulate them into our language right and so sometimes things happen that seem to defy the laws of nature but they don't can't defy the laws of nature it defies what man perceives the laws of nature as, right? But I'm not saying, once again, that miracles don't happen and that things don't happen that are um, due to that divine consciousness, due to divine intervention. I'm just saying that um, uh, I think it's it's good to it's good to be skeptical. It's good to be skeptical of certain things and. Um, and not just believe everything, because you know that's how that's how cults are formed. You know, you believe somebody just had some strange experience that has some other explanation, and they say, "Oh my God, it must have been this." And then they have this huge following, and it's like, you know, next thing you know, you're committing mass suicide. You know, so so yeah, we should we should take things with a grain of salt. We should be skeptical, even in scripture. And once again, it doesn't mean that I don't believe that these things actually happen. Some of them I, I do believe, and some of them I don't. If I'm being honest, uh, there's things in the Bible that I don't. Believe believe actually happened but if they did it would not shatter my worldview because it'd be like wow that's amazing and and praise god um so no i'm, I'm maybe i'm a reductionist but once again 
I don't think that finding the significance and the relevance of the biblical of scripture um, and how it applies to my life and how it applies to the world today is reductionist. I think that reducing it to a dogmatic interpretation and removing the practical application, I think that's reductionist. And that's what a lot of, uh, a lot of people that claim that I'm an atheist, that's what a lot of them are doing. And I see it. Um, I see you. So I wanted to add one thing. Um, if we're going to spread the gospel, if we're going to spread the good news and whoever you are listening, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're an atheist. So listen up. If we're going to spread the gospel, or if you don't believe in the gospel, what's more effective? What's the more effective approach? And I've already told you my, my ideas and my opinions on, on the dogmatic interpretation. I don't care, honestly, at the end of the day. I don't care because that's not what's important. Um, if we focus on what is important, if we focus on the, the psychological, the practical application, the, the impact that, that these scriptures have on our lives, not just from a so, social fast social aspect, but from, you know, from personal spiritual aspects, you know, behavioral patterns and such. Um, if I approach an atheist, if I'm spreading the gospel and I approach an atheist and I say, no, uh, God created the earth in six days, the earth was flooded, um, you know, thousands of years later, Jesus was immaculately conceived and he died for your sins. And if you believe that, then you can go to heaven and that's the only way you're going to go to heaven. Any rational person who's maybe never heard that or, or maybe they have heard it, but they weren't raised to believe it, is not going to just accept that. If they do accept it, they're not rational. That's the point. Believe in something impossible and you can go to heaven. So it's impossible to go to heaven? There has to be more to it than that. But if I approach this and I say, well, let's, let's figure out what it is they're asking us to believe. Are they asking us, us to believe in Jesus? Because Jesus' message was, you know, you are divine. You're a son of God. Have divine nature. Manifest love. And then he died and rose again. What is the significance of that? Well, there's a process of death and rebirth. You know, we're in this world and we have to, we have to, you know, our spirit is our pattern of behavior, right? And death is when the spirit leaves the body right? Because the behavior leaves, it's just an empty shell. And so that being born again is our spirit going away and being replaced with the Holy Spirit, which was the spirit that manifested through Christ. And it should manifest through us as well. And we have to sacrifice those parts of ourselves that, that don't, that aren't in tune with, with godliness and with divine nature. And that's the sacrifice, right? Even if that means sacrificing all of yourself was, you know, because Jesus is an archetypal character that he represented um, the most extreme example of this, of this thing we're talking about, what it means to be born again. If I say that, well, any rational person has to accept that. Any rational person, if you're rational, you can't deny it. And now granted, lean not on our own understanding, right? We shouldn't just, just solely lean on our rational mind, we should have some faith, right? But I think on some level that faith is for those that can't fully articulate that or fully understand that just because we can, and I still put my faith in it, right? Um, so what's more effective? If you're an atheist and you're listening to this, um, please, you know, comment, please share 
if, if I'm missing the mark here, because I, I don't think I am. I think it's more effective to to approach it this way. And even though both things might be true, even though Jesus might have been immaculately conceived and rose from the dead after three days, even though that might be true, that's not the basis of what we're talking about. The basis of what we're talking about is the spiritual transformation, because that's how it's going to apply in our lives. I want to wrap this up and kind of drive this point home about the skepticism um, and faith when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to, well, religion and specifically Christianity in general. Um, I know I said that, you know, at one point I don't, uh, I don't open the Bible looking for truth, you know, and then later on I said, well, I seek truth when I'm reading the Bible. And yeah, it's a contradiction. It is what it is. Um, I guess, um, I guess there's a few things to, to address with that. That's what I guess open-minded skepticism is, you know? Um, I do have faith that the Bible is true, but the reason I have faith is because it hasn't let me down. It's like a trust thing, you know? Um, you would, if you, you know, I used the trust fall example before. If I, you know, have a, a friend and we practice trust falls and they consistently catch me, I am going to put my faith in that friend. And I'm going to believe when they say that they're going to catch me, I'm going to believe them to be truthful. Um, even though, I don't know, I, I guess e even though we, uh, you know, when it comes to interacting with people, you, you know, we should always, always use reason. You know, we should always use our, our judgment and our reason, um, and not, you know, not show our hand, not put all our eggs in one basket, you know, um, when it comes to certain things, but you know, as, as I'm talking about these things, I'm not scripting this. I'm not writing a paper ahead of time and, and just, you know, translating it. I don't have an outline. I have an idea of what I want to talk about. And then I'm just kind of, you know, rambling, um, trying to, you know, make some kind of sense of what I'm saying. So with truth, I think, um, I think there's a lot of confusion in today's society as to what truth means. Um, and, and I'm going to, I don't want to dive into this rabbit hole because I could talk about this for a long time because it's something that's going on. Um, you know, with the transgender movement, you keep hearing the phrase, you keep hearing the expression, my truth. Well, there's the truth and then there's my truth. I just watched that, uh, Matt Walsh documentary, uh, what is a woman? And there was one guy, he was like, a. um, uh, he was some kind of gender studies, but it was like social, uh, like a social science type, um, professor. And Matt Walsh was like, was like, well, what is the truth? You know, he's like, what is the objective truth? And the guy got pissed. He was like, well, what do you mean? That's a, that's a transphobic phrase. The objective truth. That's crazy. 
Like, like that is that is insane. I've known some some transgender people that are are at least you know have some semblance of sanity. That dude is insane to be a professor and then to get pissed off when somebody's asking, well, what what is the objective truth? You know, um, no, it's about our personal truth. You know, it, so the reason I bring that up is not to completely um, bash the idea of subjective truth um, because there is validity to that idea, right? Because, um, you know, perception matters, you know, um, we're, we're each are an individual consciousness or at least a manifestation of the one, you know, and, and those different manifestations, those different consciousnesses, is that the plural, um, have different experience. So, the, the idea, once again, of subjective truth is not, is not entirely insane, um, that doesn't dismiss objective reality, it's just we don't really know, we can't, rather, rather, we can't really know entirely what objective reality is because we're only limited by our perspective, right? So there is an objective truth, um, but it doesn't mean that subjective truth is entirely irrelevant because the way we determine what is objective truth is by peer review. It's by contrasting our ideas and our theories off of the subjective, you know, the separate perspectives, perceptions. Um, I work in, in law enforcement and one term that we use is objective reasonableness and, um, and then totality of circumstances. So objective reasonableness is the, is basically when the court, you know, if an officer is, is, you know, being tried, um, it's what the court determines any reasonable person would do given the totality of circumstances. Okay. So, so that's what they, you know, an officer should base or what the court would base their legal decision on, uh, in regards to the decision the officer made, right? Their objective reason, the, the objective reasonableness, what would any reasonable person do in this, in these circumstances, given the totality of circumstances and the totality of circumstances. Now this is legal term. The totality of circumstances isn't the objective truth. The totality of circumstances is the, all the, um, circumstances and, and information known to the officer at that time, because you, you might not know everything, you know, in other words, if a, um, if a subject is reaching, you know, you say, let me see your hands and they start reaching for their waistline behind their back and you're like, let me see your hands. And they're, you know, they've already displayed aggression and now they're reaching for something and you can't see what it is. You're not going to wait until you get shot. You know, you have to, you know, make those decisions. The totality of circumstances, the facts known to the officer is you said, let me see your hands. This person's showing aggression, aggression. You don't know if there's a weapon, but it is possible. There's a possibility that they could have a weapon. And so th those are all even if it's not the objective truth, that subjective truth is not entirely irrelevant. And so basically it's how, it's how we base our decision-making, um, in this world based on our perspective. Right. And I think, and so I'm, I'm coming full circle with this, bear with me. I think that, you know, when it comes to scripture, 
I think that's what we're doing is we're, we're shaping or it's providing a perspective. Um, you know, I, I can fathom, I can, I can wrap my head around, um, atheism, you know, I, I, I can, and, and so this is the whole point of this, right? Is, am I an atheist? Uh, no. Um, I, but I can wrap my head around it. I've, I've certainly explored that idea. I mean, God, listen to, you know, the Beatles, listen to John Lennon. He imagine there's no heaven. <laughs> it's easy if you try. And so imagine, you know, the world, you know, we're looking at the world, um, and, and my logical mind won't allow me to do this, right? It's almost like, um, imagine if the earth was flat, like I don't believe the earth is flat, but I can wrap my head around that. Right. Um, but you know, imagine there's no God, imagine that, you know, this, that, um, you know, meaning is what we make it or, um, you know, that, that it just, things just happen to be, um, from pure chance. Um, and there's no intelligence, um, layered behind what we perceive as reality or, I mean, even though I see that's a ridiculous notion because we are intelligence, right? Um, so, so yeah, I can't even, I can't even articulate atheism really. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I have, I have grasped that, that notion, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't escape me. I, I can't articulate it intelligently because I, 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 it just isn't an intelligent approach, I don't think. But that's how integrated my faith is into my worldview, and that's kind of the point, right? Um, I can imagine a perspective without God, um, but the reason that I believe in God isn't just because it's convenient or it makes me feel better or um, I'm afraid of hell or or anything like that. The reason I believe in God is because it's the most logically reasonable, coherent argument, um, for reality, for the, for the, for the, the meaning of reality, for the, the fact that we're here, the fact that consciousness exists. And that's a fact, even if we can't define what consciousness is, you know what the fuck I'm talking about when I say it, right? I'm talking about you that I'm talking to. That's, that's your consciousness, you know? Um, and that's real. That's a real thing. Uh, so we can't, we can't just dismiss that and pretend that, that it isn't there. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think I'm the reductionist here. I think the real reductionist is the one that would reduce consciousness to a, um, you know, deterministic, you know, we're just programs, you know, our brain is just, you know, a, a complex motherboard, you know, while on some level, I think that is a good explanation for, um, for how the brain works. Um, and as much as I, I hate determinism, I, I can't, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it can be disproven or debunked as much as I hate it. Um, not because it's inconvenient, just because it's, it's one of those things that like, I, I don't know, man, I don't like it <laughs> for obvious reasons. Right. Um, because I, I guess because it is, it is the one thing that you could say, um, undermines, uh, free will or undermines consciousness. Right. Um, and it, it, even determinism, it doesn't 
disprove God. It would just, I mean, you could, you could integrate that and just say that, you know, God is in control and we are not, you know, everything, you know, cause, um, and let's go back to scripture for a second. Um, you know, that God, you know, knew everything that was going to happen and knows everything that's going to happen, numbered the hairs on your head before you were even born. Right. Um, and that's kind of a, a deterministic argument as to how things are going to fall into place, you know, that it's, it's, it's kind of pre-written to some extent. Um, that, that's a complex, complex thing. And I'll, I'll definitely go down that rabbit hole another time. Um, not right this minute. I want to wrap this up, um, you know, talking about, uh, about truth. So the, to me, the, you know, religion, it's true. Um, and, and like I said, you know, parts of the Bible, uh, are not, I don't think that they were even meant to be, uh, speaking of, you know, the objective truth of, you know, like the origin of species or anything of that nature. Um, it's about our place in the world. Um, and if we can see that, if we can see that, you know, it's, it's about our journey. It's about our struggle with God. It's about our struggle with goodness. It's about our struggle to make a better society, to make a better kingdom, to make, um, you know, to, to manifest love, you know, and, and all of that is, is true. And, and maybe there's, you know, because we can apply these things to, to anybody's life, um, you know, maybe there's some room for, for subjective truth in that because everybody's life is a little bit different, you know, and, and this story, it may, and that's the thing is they're archetypal stories, right? And so it's, it's saying the same thing to everybody, um, but what they're receiving and how they're applying it might be a little bit, it might look different because our experiences are different, even though, and, and I guess that's just it. I guess the Bible shows us that God, maybe this, say I'm honest, I'm sorting this out right now. Maybe the Bible shows us that our experiences aren't that different. You know, if, if we take an archetypal story and we can read this story and it applies to literally everybody, um, you know, that's, that's the greatest story ever told. Oh, stay in your lane, dude. Almost got hit. Yeah, that's, that is the greatest story ever told. And if we can, sorry, I'm driving as usual. If we can, uh, see that this story applies to everybody, then that story is objectively true, right? Even though the, the language, and I guess there, there it is, right? It's the language that's being used is, a metaphorical language. Um, and once again, it doesn't mean that these things didn't happen. It means that they are happening, you know? Um, and there's no, there's currently no better way to articulate or to explain the things that the Bible is explaining than through those stories. You know, uh, you know, Bo Burnham said, um, you know, he did that song that was a, a message from the perspective of God. And he was like, uh, the books you think I wrote are way too thick. Who needs a million metaphors to figure out you shouldn't be a dick. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's clever, right? Um, it's like the Holy Bible. You open it up and it says, don't be a dick. Right. Um, if only we knew how, <laughs> you know, and so, so telling these stories and, and, you know, these archetypal stories that are true for everyone, uh, it kind of gives us some guidance. It gives us some structure, uh, because we're not simple, you know, we are complex, 
in a lot of ways, and yeah, I think that's what, uh, that's what it's all about, so, there you have it.